What is the No Spin News all about? You know that this is a fact-based analysis news program. You know that. We avoid speculation. We don't do conspiracies here. We don't do party politics here. We're not nonpartisan. That's wrong. Not that. Okay, we are advocates for a stronger America and a more just society. We don't believe in communism. We don't believe in socialism. We don't believe in nihilism. We don't believe in the progressive woke culture. We think it is un-American. We don't support that. So you should know what we are. And it would then crystallize what we do. Listen to the No Spin News. Subscribe to Bill O'Reilly's podcast feed wherever podcasts are available. The media has systematically lied to you. The Hunter Biden laptop story, the origin of COVID-19, the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, or how your money's being spent in Ukraine. Enough already with the lies. No more lies, hard truths only. That's what the Truth Podcast is all about. It's not standard conservative talking points. If you want that, go somewhere else. But if you want the hard truth delivered to you in a way that challenges you and will challenge me intellectually, you're not going to find anything like this on the internet. Subscribe, download now the truth. Welcome to Politics by Faith, brought to you by Patriot Gold Group and Public Square. I'm Mike Slater. Thanks for being here. I'm excited for today's episode. We're going to talk about March Madness. Not really. Sort of. We're going to talk about basketball, but not. it's not really about basketball. We could do an episode about We could talk about gambling. You should, shouldn't do that. Or we could talk about how to handle the disappointment when your favorite team loses. Today's episode is about basketball and sports as a metaphor for, well, being tough. Why? Because we are becoming very weak physically weak and I'll prove that but of course also emotionally and spiritually weak and that is a big problem and it is causing a lot of anxiety and that's why we do this show because things are causing us anxiety and you can't think clearly you can't sleep when you have anxiety so the point of the show is to talk about these things that are broken why they're broken break it down lament the brokenness and then give some historical perspective and biblical peace that can help that anxiety go away that's why we're here and I'm grateful you're here So let's start with what's going on. Let's start with the physical. Men are physically weaker now than in the past. A 2016 study, British men were instructed to rate their masculinity on a scale of completely masculine to completely feminine with some different options in between. Only 2% of men aged 18 to 24 rated themselves as completely masculine compared to 56% of older men, 65 plus. So 60, excuse me, 56% of older men said they're completely masculine. Only 2% of, of young men. <laughs> what? Now that's subjective. That's like, how do you rate yourself? Okay. But how about some objective measurements? So we got a study from 2007 from the Journal of Clinical Endocrinology and Metabolism. They concluded that men's average testosterone levels have been dropping by 1% every year since 1980. That's a lot. Over 43 years, 1% a year. But who cares about testosterone? How does that affect anything in actual life? Okay, another study. Men age 20 to 34 have lower grip strength than men just 30 years ago. The average grip strength 
for men 25 to 29 is 26 pounds lower than it was before. I'll put that into perspective in a little bit here. Now you say, well, who grip strength? Like, who cares? Uh, grip strength is a is a pretty good indicator of physical, like overall physical strength, whether it's even push ups or leg press, like just a bunch of different physical exercises. Grip strength is, is a simple way to measure sort of overall strength. And we are physically, objectively weaker. But you know, what I mean, we can look at this all day, but you know, there's a, I have a picture of my grandpa when he was in World War II. I don't know where this picture was taken. I know he served in the Aleutian Islands. I don't know if that's where this picture was, but he has a, a axle. He's holding an axle over his head with one arm with the tires on it. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know how, how much that weighs, but if you look at his face, doesn't look like it weighs that much. My face would look different if I was carrying it over my head. Chris Ingram at the Washington Post. He said, a man's hands say a lot about him. My own father at 66 still has the calloused, gnarled hands of a guy who did competitive weightlifting in college and spent much of his career grappling with 1,500-pound dairy cattle in a, as a large animal veterinarian. I, on the other hand, have the soft palms of a modern-day desk jockey. My hands are delicate, well-moistured, and prone to blisters if I spend too much time in the garden. <laughs> He's self-deprecating, like he realizes how weak and pathetic we are. But let me make it worse for millennial men. Back to grip strength. So in 1985, men could apply 117 pounds of pressure in their grip strength. 117 pounds. Today it's 98. But check this out. Back in 1985, women could only apply 75 pounds of force. But today, millennial women can apply 98 pounds. So women are stronger today than in the past. Okay, whatever. But the main issue is millennial women are as strong as millennial men. So yay for women getting stronger, but how weak are the men? Men and women are the same grip strength. Wow. Now, a lot of people brush this grip strength argument aside and say, oh, it's just because most men aren't working with their hands in the factory anymore all day. And you're like, yeah, I know. That's my point. That, among other things, has made men physically weaker. It's common sense. Good times create weak men. We know that's true. Good times create weak men. There's no question. But it's not just physically weaker. So I just had this flash of uh, the movie Gladiator. I haven't seen it in too long. I got to watch it again. Uh, you have Marcus Aurelius, the emperor, his son, Commodus, right? Is the one who took over, played by Joaquin Phoenix, right? So he was the, the, the rich man's son, and he was physically weak and pathetic. N not as weak and pathetic as in Braveheart, right? The king's son in Braveheart was like, you know. Uh, but Commodus is weak, but also morally. He was morally weak. In August of 2020, OnlyFans, it's a pornography website, had 1.2 million content creators, girls, and 50 million paying customers, mostly men. The founder said that their user base was growing 500,000 people per day. A half a million new users a day? Now, that was in 2020. Was he right? It wasn't far off. Today, there's over 170 million. So three years ago, not even three years ago, it was 50 million paying customers. And now it's 170 million paying customers on OnlyFans. 
and it went from 1.2 million content creators to 1.5 million today. That's horrific. I have a chart here with the number of users. In 2019, it was 7 million, then 12 million, 30 million, 75 million, 120 million. 2021, it was 150 million, <laughs> and it's 170 million. I mean, that's, I'm sure there's even more since even these last, it was unreal. It's, and that's just corrosive. Men in America are languishing. Is that, the, is that the right word? Languishing? I don't even know if that's strong enough. What's the definition of languishing? Okay, yeah. Becoming or being feeble. Oh, this is perfect. Sorry, this is Webster's 1828 Dictionary. Anytime I look up a word, you got to go to the original dictionary, uh, not the woke dictionary today. So languishing means becoming or being feeble, losing strength, withering, fading. That's perfect. I was going to go with rotting. Men in America are rotting away. I don't know which I like more, languishing or rotting, corroding. I don't know. Just ask any good woman on the dating scene and she will say, where are all the good men? And there's no secret to this. The way to get strong is to do hard things. If you want to get physically stronger, you got to lift weights or work on a dairy farm. And uh, that's how you get strong. And if you don't lift weights, you get weak. It's true with muscles. It's true with emotions. It's true with spiritual health as well. Doing hard things makes you more of a man. Hence, good times make weak men. Hard times make strong men. All of the problems in our country today you name it, name the problem from we're spending too much money to the banks are failing, whatever, it's sin. It's all sin, pride, greed, envy, selfishness, whatever, it's sin. That's one of the premises of the show where we're like, here's the story in the news, here's what's going on, and here's what's really going on. So here's the story, here's the headline, here's the description of what's happening, but okay, now what's really going, like what's the root of this? What's the sin root of this? It's true with everything. And our physical weakness, which we can see, that's bad enough. But that is a metaphor for our spiritual weakness, which I would argue is even worse. So what's really going on here? I think we are suffering because of the sin of apathy. This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers. And most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. Romans 12, 11, Paul said, Do not be slothful in zeal. This is great. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. How great is that? You're looking for a family mission statement? Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. We live in a country where people are slothful 
in zeal. Neil Postman years ago wrote a book called Amused to Death. You should read it. That's what we become, amused to death. Now, I guess you got two kinds of apathy, right? You got the, 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 you got the Christian who is apathetic today. And then you have the apathy from someone who's unsaved and don't even care. On that first kind, don't feel ashamed. Don't let shame keep you away from getting that zeal back. David wrote Psalm 51:11. He said, he prayed to God. He prayed to God for a, re- a renewal to he prayed to God to renew a steadfast spirit. Renew it. Renew a steadfast spirit and restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. So David recognized the path he was on and it was not good and he prayed to God for that renewal. And you can do the same. And that second kind of apathy, the person who doesn't even care that they're living in sin, who doesn't care to even pretend to solve the root problems as to why they're hurting or care that they're hurting others or they don't care about the judgment that's coming to them. We are men who lack care and plenty of reasons for that. Plenty of reasons. I've been thinking recently about this, uh, the archetype again, uh, warrior, king, magician, lover. I think about it a lot. It's been a while though. We should spend a day, maybe we do a special episode. We just run through all these just so we can all be using the same language. But uh, you have these four different archetypes of a man and you should try to be all four of them. But the king archetype in his fullness is calm. And as I'm describing these, see if, first of all, are you these things? But do you know any men in your life who are these things? The king is calm. The king is confident, has purpose, has balance. Uh, The king is a rock in crisis. He's not stressed by the day-to-day drama keeps a nice broad perspective uh you know what i'm talking about like the person who comes in all frantic like oh what's, what's gonna what are we gonna do what are we gonna do, we gonna do? The king doesn't get flustered like that the king is decisive he protects his realm john eldridge says that a man should be judged by the degree that those under his purview are thriving love that line the king inspires creativity in others you know you you're working with a confident man when he promotes other men just to see them thrive, just to see them excel. He delights in other people succeeding. That is a king in his fullness. The warrior has purpose, is mindful, is flexible, is a minimalist. Uh, the warrior is not weighed down by, by s- s- silly, unnecessary things. A warrior is decisive and skillful. A warrior is loyal. A warrior is disciplined. We need to be those things too. Now, in the 1800s, two-thirds of church attendance was female. And the church turned into this very soft and effeminate like knitting club. And men realized that we need to live more in the fullness of the king and the warrior that I was just speaking of. In other words, we need to be more like Jesus. And there's this movement that came out of it called muscular Christianity. Uh, it's what created the YMCA. And it's also what created basketball which we'll get to in just a minute. The first person who coined the term muscular Christianity is a writer. His name was T.C. Sanders, 1857. Um, it was before, the, it ha- like it happened before this, but he's the guy who coined that term, 1857. He said, it's a man who fears God and can walk a thousand miles in a thousand hours, who breathes God's free air on God's rich earth, and at the same time can hit a woodcock, doctor a horse, and twist a poker around his finger. A woodcock, I understand to be, and I'm not going to pretend to be a hunter. Uh, a woodcock is the the toughest bird to shoot. It's like a quick, wild, sporadic bird. So the muscular Christian should be able to, to, to shoot that bird no problem. 
And I appreciate the zeal of that description. Now, of course, your salvation does not depend on if you can throw a spiral or chop firewood or shoot a bow and arrow, period. And I believe there is a connection between physical exertion and moral development and spiritual development. And we've lost, well, all of them. At least it was a helpful metaphor. Paul used it. 1 Corinthians 9.24, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? So run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. This is great. So here's Paul comparing being a Christian to sports, relating the spiritual to the physical. Three points. First, intense focus. Do you want to win or not? So this, we're all run, we're running, but you, you, want, you want to win, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. He is double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. In other words, get your head in the game. Are we running or not? We're running. Let's win. Get your head in the game. Number two, every athlete exercises self-control in all things, Paul says. Great athletes, of course, sacrifice for their excellence, for the goal. They eat certain foods. They don't eat other foods. They wake up early, constantly training. If they're not training, they're thinking about training. They're not out partying. They're focused, self-control, incredibly disciplined. And the third thing, Paul says he strikes blow to his body. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, every weight, and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. A Christian does not let his flesh have control over their life, but the Holy Spirit. And in the end, believers look forward to the day when God says to them, well done, good and faithful servant. You won the race. We live in too prosperous a country, that has resulted in physical apathy and therefore spiritual apathy. And a great fear is Revelation 3. I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either hot or cold. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Stop being lukewarm. Get out there and win. I'm having a flashback to playing sports as a kid and the coach, coach yelling at me. Let's lament here for a minute. I've been thinking about empire and decline stuff recently. And part of that is our seemingly inability to build big things. New York City wanted to build for years. They wanted to build a train to LaGuardia and they just scrapped it. <laughs> They're like, we can't be done. The cost went up 5X, I think. I just forget it. We can't do it. Atlanta was going to build all this big train network and they scaled it back to almost nothing. Like we can't do it. America used to have the biggest buildings in the world. It wasn't even close. And now our biggest building, the World Trade Center, is the seventh biggest. What? The second biggest in America is the 15th biggest in the world. That's another one in New York City. And then the, the, the Sears Tower, the Willis Tower in Chicago is number 26. So the tallest buildings in America ranked in the world are 7, 15, and 26. But that's not, that's, that's not everything. I mean, it's like same thing with grip strength, right? Like that's not all that there is. To a country, of course, who has the tallest buildings. But we also used to build 
massive Hoover dams. <laughs> you know, the last dam we built in California was in 1980, 43 years ago. The last nuclear power plant we built in America started construction in 1978. There is one in Georgia under construction now, but it's been under construction for 10 years. So can we build big things anymore? Can we do great things? Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm just not seeing it, but it doesn't feel like it. And that's what I'm lamenting. At the risk of making this too political, Trump in 2016, his opening speech, uh, where he talked about Mexico not bringing their best, um, it was about how we don't win anymore. The whole speech is about how we used to win, but we just don't win. It's a fantastic speech. His latest message in his next campaign is we don't build big things anymore. And that's why he talked about how we're, we're, vote for me and we'll build 10 new cities. He's just trying to light some fire in people again. So I lament that we lack that vision. I, I lament that we're weak. I don't even know if we had the vision, if we could execute it. What if we had to fight a war, like a real war? First, do we even love this country enough to fight for it? And then if we did want to fight for it, do we have the skill to do it? Do we have the skill and the courage to fight? Or would we just get crushed? Now, of course, there's going to be like the elites and the military who have the ability to do it. But like your average man in America, will the men on the front lines just be complaining that it's too cold <laughs> or too warm or the food's not good enough or I can't check my phone. My Candy Crush game, my Candy Crush score is going down out here. All right, enough whining. So I just had to get that. <laughs> had it all bottled up. I had to get it out of my system. Let's pivot to the good news, shall we? We'll talk about the history of basketball in this March Madness, and it's all beautifully connected. But first, the newest sponsor of this show is Patriot Gold Group. I've been telling you about Patriot Gold Group for many years now on my TV show. Uh, I bought gold from them many years ago. They're still the best. There's a lot going on out there. Are we... Are we Let's say you invest your money. We're all in agreement with that. You invest your money in a company. They spend it on some ESG progressive nonsense. Right? Saudi Arabia is meeting with China to accept the Chinese currency for oil purchases. That would be a massive blow for the U.S. dollar being the reserve currency. That's, that's crushing. That collapse is surely coming. I'm also certain that we will have a Federal Reserve controlled digital dollar. There's no question that that will happen. Uh, the Fed can't get this recession under control, so they have to crash the economy. They tried for a soft landing. It didn't work. It's a huge mess. I bought gold. Now, from whom? Well, Patriot Gold Group. They're rated the number one gold IRA dealer by Consumer Affairs six years in a row. Mention Mike Slater. You'll get great service. I did. I didn't say I was Mike Slater. I got great service. You mention Mike Slater. You'll get great service. Talk about not just buying gold but also having your IRA or 401k in physical gold or silver. Very interesting. You may be eligible also for a no fee for life ROA on qualifying rollover. So give them a call 1-888-617-6122. 888-617-6122 for a free investor guide today. Patriot Gold Group, 1-800-617-6122 or patriotgoldgroup.com. So what started this whole conversation? March Madness. I don't have cable, so I don't watch the games, but I like to Google the games afterwards and watch the last minute because I love how the announcers make the call of a close game. Like last minute is the most exciting part, right? Do you know who, do you know the guy who invented basketball? 
How have I gone my whole life? We talked about this last week. I went my whole life without knowing who St. Patrick really was, like the true story of St. Patrick. I'm so mad at myself. And I feel the same way. Like, how do I not know the story of the guy who invented basketball? And more importantly, more relevant to us, why he invented it. It is said that basketball is the only American sport that has a known founder and a clear beginning. His name was James Naismith, N-A-I-S-M-I-T-H, James Naismith. He was born on a farm in Ontario in 1861, orphaned at the age of nine, raised by his grandmother for two years until she died, and then went to go live with his bachelor uncle. There was a game he loved to play when he was a boy called Duck on a Rock. So you'd put a rock on a, a bigger rock or a tree stump or something, and everyone has a bunch of little rocks, and they, they, they throw them at the big rock, and they try to knock the big rock off the stump. So every boy's trying to knock the big rock off the stump, but then there's one boy who's guarding the rock. And like, that's a risky job. You <laughs> get a rock to the head. And young James realized that the best way to knock the rock off was not to throw a straight shot, like out of a gun, but a high arcing shot, like a jump shot. That's when he was a boy. Fast forward to 1891. So he's 30 years old. He's working at a YMCA in Massachusetts. And the boys were getting all rowdy in uh, Springfield, Massachusetts, because it was cold. <laughs> so they were stuck inside and they needed to get their energy out. But they were also very unfocused and, dare I even say, undisciplined like us. And nothing, the men there, nothing the adults suggested, got their interest. The boys just didn't care. So the head of physical education told James to come up with an indoor game that would provide a, quote, athletic distraction for the boys with explicit instruction to, quote, make it fair for all players and not too rough. So James sat down and he thought about all the sports that are around, right? rugby, lacrosse, soccer, football, hockey, baseball. So he's like, okay, what's going on? He's like, hey, well, uh, the, the bigger ball, the bigger the ball, the safer the sport. Okay, so we're going to have kind of a big ball. Uh, also, most injuries come from running with the ball, like rugby. So he decided to make it a game of passing. Originally in basketball, there was no dribbling. You could only pass the ball. And we're going to reduce contact by making the goal really high above people's heads. So he goes to the janitor. I'm not kidding. He goes to the janitor at the YMCA and he asks for some boxes. But the janitor's like, bah, I don't have any boxes. I got these peach baskets though. Will this work? Hence, basketball. Now, the first game ever played didn't go well. It ended with several black eyes, one separated soldier, and one player knocked unconscious. <laughs> but they eventually dialed in the rules. And he wrote down the famous 13 rules. The original handwritten rules were recently auctioned at Sotheby's and they went for over $4 million, four and a third million dollars. It was the most ever paid for a sports memorabilia item. Two pages, handwritten, 13 rules for basketball. And whoever bought it gave the document to the University of Kansas. So there's a couple of reasons why I love this story so much. First, James was a Christian. He wrote later in his life, 1941, he said, whenever I witness games in a church league, I feel that my vision almost half a century ago of a time when the Christian people would recognize the true value of athletics has become a reality. He went to work at the YMCA. He wrote, to win men for the master through the gym. To win men for God, for Jesus, through the gym. Now, of course, people no longer consider basketball a Christian sport, but... That is the genesis of it. Second reason I love this story is the metaphor of God being in charge. 
So first of all, like any sport, there's different players with different positions and each position has its own role and every player has their own strengths and weaknesses, but we all work together for the same goal. And scripture says the same thing. The body is a unit, though it's made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. Now the body's not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, well, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong in the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God had arranged, has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there's many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weak are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Same thing with the five players on a basketball team and you're all part of the same body. Whenever a team wins or loses, you all win or lose. And to excel, you need to give up some of your individual freedom. To work as a team successfully, you got to be sacrificial. You got to do its best for the overall mission. It's a beautiful metaphor. So on that, Naismith's favorite role in basketball was not to play or to coach. He was University of Kansas's first coach. His record was 55 and 60. He's the only coach at the University of Kansas to not have a winning record. <laughs> the guy who invented the sport was the only loser that they've ever had. His favorite role in basketball was to referee. He wanted basketball to be a place where people's character were formed. His original orders back at the YMCA in Massachusetts were that if anyone's too violent, then they get kicked out of the Y completely. But that doesn't mean it's a sport for weaklings. Far from it. I love this line. 1910, he said, basketball is personal combat without personal contact. Love that. Basketball is personal combat without personal contact. He said, the best definition of character I know is, it is that combination of reflexes within me, which determine how I shall act under unforeseen circumstances. The reflexes you build on the basketball court are going to become a part of your character. And any athlete growing up knows that this is true. But I love this idea where we're going to play this sport and we're going to become better people. We're going to have personal combat through playing this game, and it doesn't necessarily require personal contact, but you are going to be broken down and made stronger because of it. It's amazing. Here's a list of 36 characteristics that James Naismith came up with uh, about sports, the benefit that the character traits that are built in sport, and in particular, basketball. Here are the 36 that he wrote down. I love them. And this is what we need more of in this country, right? So under, under the category muscular development, endurance, strength, symmetry, vigor, vitality, skill, agility, alertness, coordination, muscular control, physical judgment, reflex skill, speed, mental, generalship, generalization, initiative, memory, observation, emotions, ambition, 
enthusiasm, joy, loyalty, remorse, self-confidence, self-respect. Sorry, I'm just thinking of John Wood in there. Uh, one of the greatest coaches of all time, UCLA basketball coach. He said, uh, I taught my players that if someone didn't know the score of the game and they saw you, they wouldn't be able to tell if you won or lost. They wouldn't be able to tell if you won or lost based on the score, based on, based on your behavior, based on how you're acting. That doesn't matter. I love that idea. Um, all right, social, cooperation, leadership, observing the rules, sportsmanship, teamwork, and then moral, concentration, courage, determination, perseverance, perspective, self-control, and self-sacrifice. Those are all great life virtues and Christian virtues as well. When he applied to work at the YMCA, he said, the, the question was, why do you want to work here? He said, my life work is to do good to men and serve God. And wherever I can do that best, that's where I will go. This character development in the world is called character development. Uh, in the biblical world, it's called sanctification. It's making men more like Christ. And that's exactly what James Naismith intended to do. That was his life goal, was to make men more like Christ. He knew, famous words of the Puritan John Owen, you must be killing sin or it will be killing you. That's the personal combat that James was talking about. You got to be killing sin or it will be killing you. And his goal was to make men who are no longer apathetic about anything. Where the boys hanging around the YMCA were apathetic about life. He wanted to make them have a zeal and a zest for sport and then have that carry over and be no longer apathetic spiritually and have a zeal and zest for God as well. So what is in my control here? Let's not be apathetic people. Let's not be lazy people. Let's, let's be people with zest and zeal for life. I love this scripture, Hebrews 12, uh, Hebrews 12, 12. Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. <laughs> How good is, I love that. Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees so that they might obtain the grace of God. Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Wow. Uh, next verse, strive for peace with everyone and strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. The, the Greek word strive for has this connotation of like this prolonged, constant perseverance. Like you never stop striving for this holiness. Uh, Thomas Brooks was an English Puritan preacher in the 1600s. He said, holiness differs nothing from happiness, but in name. He said, holiness is happiness in the bud and happiness is holiness at the full. So we must strive for, fight for holiness. How much? How much do we need to strive for? Just a little bit? Check out this line, Hebrews 12, 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. <laughs> Spurgeon said, it has hardly come to blood and bruises yet certainly not to bloody strokes. You have not lost blood yet for Christ. And when the bloody strokes come, know that it's for the best. It's like hard work out of the gym. My college coach said that you need to be worried when I'm not yelling at you. If I'm not yelling at you, I don't care anymore. So if I'm yelling at you, it's good. Hebrews 12, 6, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives.
Spurgeon said this, I got to quote it in full. He says, oh, what comfort there is here. Whenever we're under the scourging hand of God, so you're inflicting punishment, how we ought to be cheered with the thought that this is part of the inheritance of the children. There are Eli's who spoil their children. God is not one of them. He does not spare the rod. And the more he loves, often the more he corrects. A tree of common fruit may be left alone as long as there's a little fruit on it. But the very best fruit gets the sharpest pruning. And I've noticed that in those countries where the best wine is made, the vine dressers cut the shoots very close in. And in the winter, you cannot tell that there's a vine there at all unless you look very carefully. They must cut them back sharply to get sweet clusters. The Lord does this with his beloved. It is not anger. Afflictions are not always anger. They are often signs of great love. And dare I say, signs of a great coach. Difficulty and struggle are good signs of having actively engaged in the fight against sin. So we'll leave on this thought. Paul said, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Let's get more zeal. Pray for more zeal. Put to death our spiritual apathy. Hey, let's put to death our physical apathy too. Let's get out there and exercise, but let's put to death our spiritual apathy more than anything. James Naismith, the founder of basketball. Think of him when you're watching March Madness. He says, you will see that the aim of the game is to develop the man and not to make money or even draw a crowd. And while the latter objects are good, I feel the other has to be the chief purpose for which the game should be played. Develop the man. Now, he wrote that seven years after he created the game in 1898. And today, CBS signed an eight-year extension for $8.8 billion with the NC2A. So there is indeed money that hath been made. If only he could see the game now. If only he could see March Madness. <laughs> the final game is going to be played in front of 80,000 people in Houston. But if he could see what the game has become, the, 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 the men who uh, show incredible discipline in their training before the season starts and the focus they have while playing the game and the joy of the last second game-winning shot. The discipline, the focus, and the joy. If only the men of America, if only you and I, could have that same level of zeal for Jesus. This podcast brought to you by Public Square. So grateful for them. They have created something. I don't know how they did it. I don't know how they were able to make it so wonderful, so perfectly done. So it's a way for you to connect with businesses and therefore people who share your values, who share our values. That's it. So let's only spend our money with these people. Well, how do I know where these people are? Well, the, the app, Public Square. So you can type in near me, or just one of the options near me, and just start easy. Restaurants or coffee. Next time you go get coffee, don't go to Starbucks. Knock it off. They hate you. Go somewhere with great patriots who serve your coffee and make your coffee and give them your money and they'll give you wonderful coffee but they have it all they have banks restaurants everything um, you name it home services business services kid stuff beauty stuff bats fitness everything uh and that's near me and then they also have an online marketplace as well again only great patriots allowed it's fantastic public square totally free download public sq.com